Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for the Sopranos podcast, season three, episode five, rule of three. When are you going to learn? Be happy in thine own self. That quote was spoken by Artie Bucco's wife, Charmaine Bucco, in this episode five of season three of The Sopranos, Another Toothpick, written by Terrence Winter and directed by Jack Bender. This is a nutty hour, guys. This is a, a lot happens here. This is a deceptively busy hour of TV. Yeah. A lot of seeds planted. Yeah. And a lot of crazy happenings. Uh, there's just like every second there's something wild happening. <laughs> it's really something. Uh, I enjoyed it. This is a a welcome reprieve from uh, a couple of really big downer episodes. Because it's more action and plot driven perhaps, than some of the more emotionally sad episodes we've been through, Employee of the Month and Prashai Lavushka. But uh, a lot happening here. You got this, uh, Artie Bucco's marriage is disintegrating. Tony and Carmela in therapy together. This incident with the police officer and uh, Junior's cancer and Bobby Sr. So we're going to talk about all of it. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And this is The Sopranos Podcast, Another Toothpick. Initial thoughts, guys. Let's go around the table. Kind of a hectic episode. Yeah, that's uh, a great word for it. There's kind of a manic energy to it. I actually, in a positive way, it's very watchable. Mm -hmm. Um, Enjoyable episode. I actually felt myself more in touch with Tony than I think I had been in a little while. I I just felt myself kind of seeing things through through his eyes and just being like, oh, okay, he's getting back in touch with this kind of sympathetic sense of himself where he like puts himself in other people's shoes. This uh, incident with Officer uh, Wilmore where he's realizing he might be in the wrong, um, you know, or, or realizes that he, in fact, is in the wrong. A lot of good stuff going on here. And, of course, I love an Artie Bucco episode. I love when we can get him on a, on a major plot line, just because I think, um, am I saying this name right, John Ventimiglia? Is that right? John Ventimiglia. Uh, I, think he's a, I think he's a terrific actor. He that, is that, such a good actor. Uh, he doesn't yeah. get to do a lot, but when he does, it always really hits home for me. And I think even though he's playing the fool in this episode, it's really, um, it's a fool we've all met. Yeah. He, he gets one or two big feature episodes per season, and when yeah. he does, they really hit. Yeah, I think he's great. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see the feature, happy to see the return of uh, Charmaine. I, I think I think our characters are re- used really well here. And also, Carmella in therapy is fucking nitroglycerin. Mm. <laughs> well said. Uh, yes, I think this episode is... Um, hectic is absolutely the right word, and... It reminds me of something a bit from season two, particularly, say, like, Knight in White Satin Armor. I think our reflection was that loyalty and betrayal keep close quarters. In this episode, power and helplessness Mm. keep weird, strangely close quarters. Um, Oh, this guy isn't going to survive the hit. He's too old and frail. Then he survives the hit despite its complications, even though he's old and frail, and then lights up another cigarette and crashes the car and dies. So there's a lot of weird stuff happening. There's a lot of... Hectic is also appropriate because it seems like this episode very deliberately employs a lot of misdirected anger, Mm. which can be aimed at people who end up suffering. Uh, Sometimes also anger can be directed at the wrong fucking person, as Artie Bucco finds out. When he comes out drunk and starts uh, going after Chris. <laughs> I love that scene so much. Yeah. yeah. His acting and that, his drunk acting and just the way he and Michael Imperioli are playing off of each other in that scene. I can't wait to talk about it. Really good. So yeah, I thought this was a terrific episode, but to me the most important thing actually is Tony and the cop. We'll get into why. Yeah. Yeah, well there's a reason it kind of starts and ends the episode. Uh, Tony and the cop and that storyline is... I guess I would say it's our A plot, and it's important. Well, yeah, I'm excited to get into it all. Uh, yeah, I love this episode, and what what's cool about this episode too is that they base a lot of the action around two characters that we're just meeting for this hour, and we'll only see this hour <laughs> because they both die. Uh, but we get that in Bobby Bacala Senior, Bobby's uh, dad, and uh, this other character, Mustang Sally, who we're introduced to in a in charming fashion. <laughs> Uh, so let's go. Let's get into it from the top. We have Tony and Carmela in therapy. I love the way they reveal that. I love this, this the shot on Tony. Oh, he's in therapy. It's one of these quiet pauses they have, 
and then the camera just slowly pans out and Carmela's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's such a perfect uh, way to introduce that. The, the shot that introduces it also, it's almost like an orbiting kind of thing where it's like you're looking at planet Earth and then kind of the moon emerges from like behind it or something like that. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like when a warship comes out from like behind like a mountain or something like that. I don't know. Uh-huh. Very funny. Yeah, so we're intrigued because we like the Tony therapy scenes and then we're extra intrigued because this is something new. This is a, you know, she's never on this set. What is going on? Yeah. Carmela's uh, here? Oh, boy. By the way, I, I really just... I think having Carmela in therapy, what a stupid idea. This is not, <laughs> not good at all. You don't you think know. there's an ideal setting, there's anything to be gained from that? You know, so I know we don't do spoilers on the show, and also I don't remember how Carmela in therapy resolves as a plot point, but I just, like, the very thought of inviting her in was laughable to me, and now that she's here, I'm like, oh, it's, it's worse than laughable. It's, like, a downright dangerous to the health of, like, the therapy sessions. Why is she so hostile in this scene? And, and I ask that because she's generally, as we've seen, very supportive of Tony in therapy. Yet when she's here, is it a... Obviously, I think part of it is a Melfi jealousy. Sure. Right? Is it frustration with how long it's taking? What do we think about her conduct in therapy and how her and Tony interact here? They have a very bad fight. I, my take on it, I've, I've never been invited into a significant other's therapy... I'm sure it's very difficult, mm. and I'm sure it's hard to understand what the shorthand is. It To me, it's very understandable, though again, to me, misdirected, that Carmela is angry with Melfi. I don't think this therapy is failing to show dividends because Melfi's sitting on her laurels. Right. Um, also, you can't... There's not anything to project onto Melfi. Melfi's too even, yeah. too flat, deliberately so. The, the cop is actually the same. And by the end of this scene, it will be understood that the root cause, if you will, of Carmela's anger is not Melfi, it's Tony. Obviously. Yeah. The, the jealousy there about the other women, about his total uh, lack of communication with her. That's, that's the reality. So they're getting somewhere, but as Jordan said, this is not good. This is, it, it feels like dynamite. Yeah. And jumping off of what Paul said, I mean, in many ways, I think Carmela and Melfi are frustrated by the same thing. Just Tony's lack of progress. It's just from two different sides. Mm -hmm. Melfi is disappointed in a professional way that Tony has not progressed more and it is his fault. And Carmela's disappointed in a personal way, you know, and now they kind of are both in the same room, both kind of judging him for not making any progress. But also each one of these three people feels judged by the other two, right? Yeah. Melfi feels judged for being ineffective by both Sopranos. Uh, Tony feels judged by these two women for not making any progress. Carmela feels judged by Tony in that maybe some of the things that come up in therapy is her fault, mm. right? That she's to blame. She feels that maybe Melfi feels like she's to blame. Like this maybe is like you do some things that have an effect on her. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and I think therapy is, if you're going to be invited into someone else's therapy, you have to have this kind of, almost like a selflessness you know, that I think Carmela does not quite have because she has too much dignity. She's been too wronged by Tony in the past. You know, I think she's not going to really suffer this. Yeah, and again, I'm going to honor our no-spoiler policy, but my thought upon seeing this scene and how she played and how it played out and how Carmela and Tony interacted in the car, my thought was Carmela needs her own therapist because... Oh, sure. Melfi's there ultimately to help Tony and... You don't think Father Intentola could help her out? You don't think that's uh, <laughs> that ship sailed? No, very... Yeah, no, definitely. He's a great guy. I'm sure he's going <laughs> to... Uh, so, yeah, they uh, nice little detail. They uh, How's your knee? Her knee is still banged up from, from the, the rape and she passes it off. Uh, but that... Any lingering doubt as to how Melfi is going to handle that going forward as far as Tony's concerned is she going to tell i mean that's just right out the window if she made her decision at the end of employee of the month and as far you know i'm sure it's going to affect her in ways yet to be seen but as far as her therapy with tony goes that ship has sailed she's made her decision she's not gonna uh, tell tony about what happened and as far as anyone concerned this was a car accident right Carm's getting defensive you're both very angry uh, very great also i want to credit terrence winter very great bitter spouse dialogue here um, you know, it's like people who smoke cigarettes all their lives and then blame the cigarette companies when they get cancer. 
uh, and uh, you stick your dick in anything with a pulse. You ever think of exploring that as a root cause? Yeah. A lot of funny, bitter lines. You're both very angry. Must have been at the top of your fucking class. <laughs> Great way to exit <laughs> that really scene. Good line, yeah. yeah, and then Tony and Carmella are fighting more in the car. They're speeding, and Tony gets pulled over. An inconvenience known to many of us, especially on that uh, stretch of Route 46 that they were on. I, uh, that's another great detail of the show is that that area is right outside of Montclair, which is where Melfi's office is, even though we never really see the outside of her office. Just a great detail. They think of everything. So, yeah, that's like where they would be driving. They get pulled over by this cop who's very by the book, this cop Leon. And, um, Tony tries his usual bag of tricks here, uh, he does something that I've actually done. I <laughs> Tony had a Policeman Benevolence Association card in his wallet. I actually had a friend in the police department who gave me one of those for that purpose. But sure. it doesn't always work. Some cops no. have to give you, especially now with the body cameras. Uh, but, you know, back then, this, this guy, he's going right to the book. Uh, why don't you and your wife have dinner on me and tell her about it? And he's just not having <laughs> it. Shut off the engine. What happens if I don't feel like shutting off the engine? Calls in for backup. Tony's uh, not used to this. He's not used to having to be subject to the laws of the land. He ultimately does shut off the engine because he knows it's not worth it. This is something that any lawyer will tell you. You'll never win with the cops on the streets. you got to do it in court. And Tony may win with some cops, but not this one, certainly. And there's the racial undertone there. Uh, and uh, this is the high point of your career. I had to laugh at that line. Yeah. What do we think of this? Well, I love the indignity of The Sopranos. Of, of Carmela and Tony in the scene of like, you know, our tax dollars at work and all mm-hmm. this business. Almost like he didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. No one deserves to be pulled over by the police more than Tony Soprano, right? <laughs> like, just fucking accept it. Like, you know, this is going to be a speeding ticket. Who gives a fuck, Tony? You're a millionaire, yeah. okay? Just be happy that he's not coming at you for something more than this. The other thing is just the... Um, uh, not a criticism, just an observation. Just the, the very obvious writing that is going on here. This is classic philosophy. Unstoppable force, immovable object, who wins? Sort of neither. It's kind of a stalemate situation, right? Yeah. At least initially, right? And you have this guy. These are two guys that live by their codes, right? Mm-hmm. Tony's gangster code of like, hey, can I move this way? Can I do this? I'm going to wheel. I'm going to deal you. You know, we're going to uh, get into my little bit of chicanery here, right? And an officer who's just like, no, I'm not. I just, I'm going to do my job. That's yeah. my job. It would be an entirely different story if, for whatever reason, this cop, black or not, or maybe more like the the gangster rappers in A Hit is a Hit, were vindictive or running their own scam. But as you guys both said, it's not like that. This guy's even, and he's just basically by the book. Unlike a lot of Sopranos guest stars, this is going to happen a couple times this season, by the way, this is a character that you can't project a lot onto. He's pretty enigmatic. To me, he actually reflects something back to Tony. He's built like Tony. He's sort of balding like Tony. He's stubborn and headstrong and independent. The difference really is is that there's a there's a moral centeredness to the guy. Mm. That's the difference between he and Tony. This guy, much more than Tony, is reflective of Gary Cooper. He's the laconic ah. lawman. Ooh. That's who he is. The strong silent type. Right, the strong silent type. Whereas Tony is bitching about the indignity of a parking ticket. Yeah. It's pathetic. It's unpleasant. Uh, the whole thing. The power dynamic is fascinating. Tony seated. The guy hovering over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole scene is great. Yeah, I love when Carmela says uh, they should be out arresting dope dealers. I assume that meant other black guys. So what? what's funny about that is that's not the first time in this episode we're going to have a kind of ironic example of the hypocrisy of all this. She says that, like, they should be out arresting dope dealers. Your husband is a dope dealer, by the way. <clears throat> yeah. Number one. And then later on, we'll talk about the scene more in detail when we get there, but the scene where t- the confrontation in the kitchen, when Meadow takes the lamp upstairs and they're having that, her bike gets stolen. And uh, Tony is like, you're more, you're, 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 we, we've seen Tony use black guys to rob cars in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And he tells Meadow, you're more likely to be robbed by a black. And Meadow tells him, that you're more likely to commit crime if you're in a lower socioeconomic bracket while Tony's sitting there drinking coffee. And it's like, no, he's not in a lower socioeconomic bracket. He's the criminal. It's just very, there's a lot of that in yeah. this story, which is very fun. They're playing with that. Yeah. And just on the surface, by the way, Tony's driving like a fucking asshole. He should get this ticket. You know, I've been, in my opinion, unfairly ticketed in the past where I've just kind of been yes. like, 
hey, I'm going the same speed as everybody else, and you pick me out because you're filling some kind of a quota. Yeah. Tony is actively driving recklessly and speeding yep. and in a way that the camera really shows us. And I'm like, no, the, the you know, the camera wants us to know, like, this cop really is doing his job, yeah. you know. I've had both tickets in my life. Ones, it's like, well, I sit there, I'm like, yeah, I, I had this one coming. Sure. And course. then there's others, it's like, this is bullshit. And that's everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if it was just the baseline power dynamic or I'm going to get, or I don't, I don't think this ticket was fair or whatever... He, he does successfully get the ticket squashed. Mm-hmm. Then the question further on that's more difficult and I think, again, reflects a certain pettiness is busting the guy off the street, then Tony dealing with his guilt over it. I think the stories are mainly about three characters in this, the, the main stories, Tony, Uncle Junior, and Artie. And they're all men who have a certain macho dynamic in the way that they relate to other people. But I think at the end of the day, they're all as fragile as toothpicks. Mm. Well said. Nice. So yeah, they make sure to drop the racial tension in here too a little bit with the affirmative action cocksucker line. You know, Tony can't <laughs> fathom that this cop uh, deserves this position because he's doing his job. Uh, <laughs> oh, know. good lord! So then we cut to this scene. We meet. Uh, couple new characters well one i think we've seen once but he hasn't spoken brian spatafore he's in front of the spatafore brothers construction just to draw the connection that's going to be made apparent in the next scene this is Vito's brother Vito being on richie april's old crew now Gigi's crew with ralphie and uh his brother they're he's hanging out maybe in between jobs getting lunch and this psychopath mustang sally is uh screaming at us having like that you know, I don't know. It's a very typical, like, angry Italian and his girlfriend fight. It's like I, I was laughing a little bit at some of the, some of the dialogue. Not that it was bad, but it was just like, oh, this is an argument I've heard before in the New York, New Jersey area many times. <laughs> and uh, she gets him involved. I was uh, dragged into a domestic thing on the street once, and it is frightening and confusing because it's like you don't want to get in the middle of it, and who the hell knows how someone's going to react, and then boom. Smashes him with the golf club and uh, ends up in the hospital. We get to this hospital scene. There's a Whitman sampler. We find out it's Vito's brother. Jackie Jr. is being a dick as usual. But let's talk about the sequence. Uh, Ralphie, of course, uh, cracking his jokes at Gigi, constantly prodding him. He's not happy about being passed over, so he's cutting Gigi's nuts off anytime he can verbally with a joke or making inappropriate jokes for the situation. So, yeah, let's talk about this sequence and this, this, this event unfolding. Yeah, uh, really unfortunate and surprising. Uh, you have this uh, argument between a character you've, you've never seen before. You really haven't spent any time with any of these characters. Mm-hmm. So at first you're a little like, kind of like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, you're just screen showing uh, this random thing. You feel thing. terrible for this character, Brian, who yeah. basically is murdered uh, in this scene <laughs> with a golf club. Uh, something that's completely not his fault and also basically unavoidable. I'm not yeah. really sure what else he could have done other than to run away. Yeah. From a, a scene that is not even his scene. He's murdered in the street like a fucking dog yeah. uh, with a golf club. Gets put in a coma. And then people are making fun of him. Like, at, it's in his coma. You know, well, Ralphie is. R- Ralphie is, yeah. You know, well, but even the Whitman samplers. Like, what the fuck is this guy going to do with a Whitman sampler? You know what I mean? Like, what kind of gesture is that? It's just, you know, the show does make light of death and very appropriate to this episode since much of this episode concerns the end of your life and, and all the processes that go on there. But, um... Yeah, I just felt fucking terrible for this guy. You know, but that is kind of the flavor of this particular episode. It's just that, like, there is this maliciousness to the universe that is kind of independent even of gangster life. It's just, it's there. Yeah. You could be on the street waiting for lunch and a guy's going to hit you in the head with the golf club because that's life sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was... <laughs> There's a lot of funny, weird, funny moments. For One of them for me was, my note was, if Ralphie Cifaretto thinks you're a whack job, then you got some problems. <laughs> yeah. Like, that dude is fucked up. Yeah. And yeah, there is a cruelty to this whole process, including them eating his Whitman sampler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the cracks by Ralphie, I gotta mention, uh, very funny. He's a funny character. I, I, I have to well, laugh. that's at... part of the problem with yeah. him, is Ralphie is usually the most enjoyable thing in a scene that he's a part of. Yeah. But there is this, as each episode with him has become more apparent, that there's something wrong. Yeah. You know? Yep. I can keep my mouth shut unless, of course, it's a salami sandwich. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be a vegetable tone, a fucking retard. Look at it this way. Wasn't that smart to begin with? <laughs> totally inappropriate. 
I love how angry Gigi gets, and he just like Ralph's just laughing at him. It's like ten minutes in charge, he's fucking Lee Iacocca. Well, he's playing with the shock things. It's like, this guy is... What is this guy's problem? I don't know. Uh, it, listen, by the way, the actor playing Gigi... Do we know this actor's name? John Fiore. John Fiore, okay. This guy's perfectly cast. Yes. You know what I mean? He's like an excellent straight man to this the fucking antics that have to go on around him. Yeah. And in a room full of, like, these... Um, I don't mean to be unkind, but, like, the other guys are, like, freak show gangsters, yeah. right? They're like grotesquely overweight ralphie's this like joker-esque wise-ass or whatever he's yeah. like the guy that actually has to get the shit done yeah what a perfect actor yeah play, no, like, he the, looks the like a very there, kind like, of normal 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 but like tough yeah like gg kill that guy no problem you know mm-hmm. not not won't talk back to you just does it you mm-hmm. know that's why he's captain right and that's why he's and now it's captain. really obvious to us why this was the move you know right. what i mean like yes. ralphie's a fucking psychopath right <laughs> and gg's like yeah that's a reliable guy yep hmm. absolutely and he's tony's guy you know, right? He's he's very clearly Tony and and Gigi are in sync on on this kind of thing. Uh, Tony gives the order: take care of this Mustang Sally guy with extreme fucking prejudice. And we go into the next sequence. We're at a funeral of Febby, who we learn is uh, Carmela's. Uh, I want to say uncle, uncle, some 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 relation to Carmela. Right, must be because her parents are actually quite upset at yeah, the, at the yeah, funeral. Think, so yeah. yeah, they're in full widow gear and, yeah. and the black and all that. Full widow gear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we find out he's died of cancer. We yep. get a very awkward moment. I think this is the first time we've seen Carmela and Father Phil like alone together in close proximity uh, since the falling out in season one, and it's it's weird and awkward, and neither of them know how to act around each yeah, other. Yeah, I wrote down, Father Phil has no chill. <laughs> like, sees her in public for the first time in a while, and just, like, makes it real awkward, and Tony notices. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> See you later, Father. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Junior, of course, is very emotionally distressed in this scene. Yeah, there's something off about Junior here. He's a little yeah. detached, he's staring into space, he's... he's kind of quick to snap yeah, quick quicker even quicker than usual yeah, yeah exactly he's upset but we meet bobby's dad <laughs> played by famous character actor burt young he's been in a lot of stuff immediately likable yeah. yeah exactly like bobby much like bobby mm-hmm. i mean there's the likability is a trait that runs in the bacalieri family because <laughs> you immediately like this guy he's hacking his fucking lungs out he's laughing at junior tony's happy to see him and this man, we know from frame one, is not long for this world. No, right? No, he is doing not. the, <laughs> I'm going to be dead soon. <laughs> like every line. Yeah, he, uh, unlike Artie Bucco, he is accepting that he is getting older. <laughs> right. right. He laughs at uh, Uncle Junior being out of jail on a medical, <laughs> which is a very funny moment there. He mentions that he's actually godfather to this Mustang Sally character. And uh, in name only, that you know, nobody likes this Sally guy. He's clearly just a hothead that they all know. And it's kind of left to our imaginations just how involved in the Jersey mob life this guy Sally is. But he's known. He's Bobby's godfather. He's a psycho. He threw some guy off the mezzanine for putting too many onions on his hot dog or something. Just this known psychopath. And uh, Bobby uh, Sr. is his uh, godfather. That's going to play in in an important uh, way in a few minutes. Well, question with that. So the strategy that we come to learn is that Tony wants to put Bobby Sr. on the hit mm-hmm. to uh, to get rid of Mustang well, Supposedly, Sally. Tony says it was Gigi's idea, but Tony okayed it. Okay. Yeah. All right, so sorry. So this was Gigi's idea. Tony seems fine with it, whatever. Is the plan that, that Mustang Sally is lying low and he'll trust his godfather to like come into where he's yeah, hiding? Is I think that he the might, idea? When, when Junior confronts Tony about it later, Tony says that... Sally is in hiding because he know like he, I guess he must have found out he fucked up somebody who's connected, and went somewhere. I think Staten Island they mentioned later, and so he's hiding out at a random house in Staten Island, and he mentions to Junior that he reaches out to his godfather, old man Bacala, for help. He must be the closest person he knows that's to all this. Must have called old man Bacala and said, "Hey, uh, you know, is there anything you can do for me? I fucked up, and can you step in? Can you talk to Tony? Can you talk to somebody?" So he must have reached out thinking, this is my way out here. Uh, truthfully, the best thing he could have done was to just fucking get out of the Northeast and never come back. <laughs> but, yes, he should know. have left this part of the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he reaches out to Omen Bacala. So uh, on a conceptual level, it makes sense. You know, if he can get close to the, to, to the Sally guy without a rising suspicion, he might uh, stand a chance, but he's in rough shape. I guess we just have to assume some things then because uh coming in is just like a 
you know, a, a new viewer. I don't even really remember this episode, honestly. This was almost like a first-time watch for me. Coming in as like a basically a new viewer, I'm just like, this is a terrible idea. This man is dying just standing in front of the church <laughs> at a funeral, and he's going to go whack a guy that we just saw beat a man to death with a golf club who's like in his health, right? This guy's yeah. probably in his 30s or 40s. He's strong. Mm -hmm. He's probably fast. He's crazy. And we're going to send old Bacala after him? This is a fucked idea. Well, you know, and in an outfit with no shortage of guys that can do a hit. Yeah, well, it's a controversial choice, which is why it creates the controversy that it did. You know, there's uh, Ralphie well, sees what I'm trying, to say, I'm trying to ask you to, how good idea is this? Do we trust in GG? It depends. You, well, so, I, think so, it, I think it's fucked. It, you're, trading, you're trading the fact that he's a sick old man who's not, who, who's in ill health going up against a much younger guy with the fact that if you sent, say, Ralphie... Yeah, who I would have done. <laughs> right. So if you sent Ralphie, there's still a chance it could go wrong, and then you lose Ralphie. But the idea is you send... <laughs> oh, my him, God. Right? You know what I mean? This so like fun. Because he's going to see somebody coming and be like, oh, I'm gonna. that's a hitman, I'm going to die. The idea is he lets Bobby Bacala Sr. into his house. Thank you. Oh, no, I appreciate it. And he gets close. All right. But, it's a little thin for me, but okay. Well, right. but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, you know, this is why it becomes an issue in the episode. I get it. I, just, I would have sent anyone else, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's a stupid script. I'm saying I'm putting myself in the character's shoes and being like, I never would have sent him, ever. Right. right. Uh, yeah, good set of questions. Send him with someone. Mm. Is that unheard of? I don't know. <laughs> That's, yeah, I did think that. Well, like, get him into the house and have somebody outside. Anyway, the um, th there's a bunch of ironies that come later. We'll talk about it. But the other fun thing about this storyline is that, as I think Bobby Sr. himself says, is, uh, what the fuck, I'm dead anyway. Right. But, as, as you mentioned, Chris, there's kind of like this possibly grim calculus to it of sending him. But there's also, of course, a grim calculus to... The way that Junior makes everything about himself and the rule of three, which we've chosen for our title. Yeah. So I think that that's an interesting aspect, too, because J Junior's love and, I think, respect for Bobby Sr. is also real, but it cle keeps close, ominously close quarters, once again, with seeing him as completely disposable Yeah, <laughs> in the one respect to this murder that he's going to do that poses all these risks. This Mustang Sally's a tough kid. And, of course, disposable in the sense that he's supposed to die of cancer, so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. So we finally get into our third plot here, uh, which is uh, Adriana quits at Vesuvio. Artie's had a great night. Artie's acting in this scene tickles me. He's just so excited about his good night. And there's this little moment where he's reaching over for the wine glasses and just goes, la da <laughs> I was like cracking up. Artie cracks me up when he's jovial. You're going to make uh, me uh, drink a little. Tom Antonio is so good. He's also, in my opinion, uh, if you just like really random pictures of old, of, of like older pictures without any kind of caption or explanation, follow John Ventimiglia on Instagram. I think it's, he's really hilarious. He's just a funny guy to me. Yeah, uh, I enjoy him. It's a great choice to have him seated. Yeah, because the woman who plays Adriana is a bit, I think, taller than John Ventimiglia, and she's usually in heels as well. Anyway, yeah. So then to have him like diminutive in that way is fun, and it also like again mixes success with failure because he's bringing out the paper, oh, we had a really good night, then completely strikes out with Adriana and rips the paper out. I'm like, yeah, there goes your heart on. Uh, you know, <laughs> <so>. yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, long story short here is he's looking to have a drink with her. She quits. Artie's drinking alone. Something's... there. We get the sense there's more to this, though, and we'll find out more soon. Bobby and Junior are playing checkers. We find out Bobby's dad is going to be the one to do the hit on Sally. And Bobby is devastated by this. He's he's just, he's he knows that this has a chance of going poorly. He feels very much like Jordan right. does it. Like he's yeah. he's old. He can't even get off the toilet. Uh, Junior has a great line. We usually the fuck up about the toilets, <laughs> which Terrence Winter putting that line on paper. God bless you. Uh, and <laughs> goddamn morbidity. And I'm fully with Bobby in this scene. Yeah. Right. You're putting my father on a hit. I had to help him off the toilet the other day. Mm -hmm. What the hell? You know. So Bobby is now petitioning Junior to get. Uh, uh, Bacala Sr. off the head. Yep. Here's another element that we didn't talk about in our previous conversation because the next scene is Junior going to Tony and Mel's office. Melvoy and his, his, his attorney's office to speak up for Bobby. Junior, you know, kind of comes to the conclusion 
you're right, for a man to do something like this at, at this point in his life, and that's another aspect, too, is, like, to have to murder somebody when you're that old is shitty as well. So he confronts Tony, and Tony, here's another aspect of this, is that Gigi's a new captain of that crew, and he's one of Tony's guys, not one of the original April guys, and Ralphie wanted that job, so it's a tense situation over there. And this was Gigi's idea to put old man Bacala in there, so Tony doesn't want to, quote, cut his balls off. He doesn't want to undermine Gigi before the new crew kind of acclimates to him being boss. So he, he's supporting Gigi's decision, which is what a good manager does, even though the actual move of putting Bobby Bacala Sr. in there is a controversial uh, decision. But they have this good scene. Junior says he's a sick old man. Tony says, good, he'll give him something to live for. And then... Uh, not, not wrong. No, not wrong. Uh, but we get this kind of sad, lingering shot behind Junior. Any thoughts on this sequence, Bobby and, and Junior, Junior and Tony... Having it out. Steven Sharippa has an ability to make himself cry, like, uncontrollably. <laughs> and I feel for him, but it is usually very funny. Yeah. In the way, particularly in the way that he relates to other people, because he's so emotional a character. And um, Junior is, a character who's already prickly, is uncharacteristically a shitbird. In this episode. And it, it, it's so great, uh, their dialogue. So that that's the start of it. And then, you know, it, uh, Tony's fine cutting Junior's nuts off. Yeah. Which then Junior's going to lie about to save his own face because he's got a safe face. I mean, th- these characters are so headstrong, but, uh, you know, they can suppress their feelings and they're very sensitive, yeah. as it turns out. Mm-hmm. This scene, I'm smiling, laughing already. We get drunk Artie comes in. Tony and Chris are eating at Vesuvio. I get a feeling it's either late in the night or even after hours, perhaps. Vesuvio's closed down. Chris and Tony are dining. Oh, Wolfgang fuckface. Great line. (laughs) Great line. And he comes in, and he his drunk acting here is really good. (laughs) Chris is weirded out over the shoulder rubbing. I love that shot of Chris just like weird like kind of like accepting it for a minute and then like as the rubbing gets deeper he just like looks up at her like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> and Artie is sad about losing Adriana says you better be good to that girl you cocksucker that rankles Chris a little bit and everything out of Artie's mouth is something that upsets Chris further and further and uh, not the first time we've seen Artie drunk, right? This has been kind of going on for a bit. We had him at, uh, you know, Livia's, uh, after the funeral at the Sopranos household, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing some catering for Livia's sort of memorial, right? He was very drunk, and he was going to reveal the whole business about Tony blowing up Vesuvio mm-hmm. 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is more more drunk acting from the same actor. It's always good. Artie's a bit of a mess right yeah. now. He's, he's going through something. And uh, calls Chris a cocksucker. That... <laughs> the moment where he tussles his hair and then quickly corrects it always gets me. I always laugh at that because Michael Imperial is just playing it so stone face, and <laughs> it's like oh, I must just oh I better fix that you know. And then he brushes it twice after tussling it. Very fucking funny. He provokes Chris into a, a an angry jealous response, and I think Artie may have meant it half as a joke, but also not because he's drunk and some some truth is coming out here you know says if i were you i hire a food taster you don't want to fuck with a chef my friend chris says oh you think you're the only one who knows how to swing a meat cleaver very good dialogue here chris explodes you want to try cooking with one fucking eye tony pulls him apart slaps Artie. very funny moment here where Artie says i loved her and tony just laughs at him <laughs> uh, <laughs> what am i a joke yeah stupid fucking bald one <laughs> she's a young girl you can have hair like Casey Kasem it wouldn't make a fucking difference so funny Artie is just uh, beside himself he's not thinking right I don't know what he's thinking here although he he does say can I tell you something about my wife she's a cunt (laughs) (laughs) and we've talked about this Charmaine is very tough on him Charmaine has a very um, pointed uh, abrasive demeanor but we also have talked about the fact that Artie would be in very deep trouble very often yeah she's she's the conscience yeah right yeah she needs her he'd be lost without her yes well which doesn't bode well for what happens later on uh but you know he's talking about aid i loved her Uh, what's going on here uh is Artie out of his fucking mind is he just delusional about how old he is Artie is out of his mind but he's out of his mind in a way that every uh, man has encountered either themselves or with their friends, you know? Um, I forget who I 
was talking this about this with recently. Uh, these are not exactly my words, but I'm going to repeat them. I'm going to paraphrase. If you are a man who has gotten married early in life, you know, you married your high school girlfriend, your, maybe your college girlfriend, maybe you even just got married in your sort of early 20s, as Artie Bucco did, you know, you're having a longer length of marriage time, right? You're in a long marriage. And uh, you have to try your best to love the marriage that you made in your youth throughout each season. Otherwise, you run the risk of being kind of made the fool of. That's not to say, like, I can't judge everyone's marriage. Of course, you know, people grow apart, they grow unhappy, whatever. But lusting after young women, right, and thinking that that is going to make you happy rather than being with the wife that you've been with since you were a kid uh, seems to al almost always lead to ruin, right? Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many friends I have or how many stories I've heard. I'm sure the two of you as well where it was an older guy, he left his wife for a younger girl, and that thing lasted a year. Mm. Or it didn't happen, you know? And then they felt foolish and they've given up so much, you know? Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, as much as we think Charmaine is abrasive, and she is, Artie needed to put more investment into trying to get that relationship to work in a way that worked for him, worked for both of them, rather than lusting after Adriana so much so that he's actually trying to leave his wife now, yeah. you know? How many men have fallen into this trap? So, so many. The irony here is that uh, Tony and the gang, they all have these dual split relationships between their wives and these relationships with young women, but they are sexually gratifying relationships, right? Uh, here's where our, our friend Artie Bucco has gotten confused, is he believes he actually loves Adriana, right? Uh, mm. Because he does not have the um, space in his heart to just, like, have, like, something on the side with somebody. Certainly not with Adriana, but... Yeah, there's this, there's this foolishness that is a familiar foolishness. We have yeah. all seen our male friends or our older male friends or some of our male relatives make this mistake. Yeah. And you want to wring them by the neck because Tony is trying to do and be like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Knock it off. Yep. I love when he says, do me a favor. Don't ever say that to anybody ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very well said, Jordan. I, I appreciated that breakdown very much. He mentions quickly, Artie, uh, he'll call, call, call me tomorrow. I got some business. I got a business opportunity. So we're going to come back to that. Then he's on the phone with Assemblyman Zellman. We've seen this character before. He's uh, working on the Riverfront Esplanade project. Uh, with, just the uh, classic corrupt yep, politician. Yep, yeah. yep. And uh, he just assures Tony, I'm on it. Tony gets a letter from the DMV about his ticket, whatever. He's like, Tony, I'm on it. Forget about it. I'll take care of it. So Tony just gets that... Um, taken care of we touch back down on that and then we get the scene where junior is lying to bobby saving face i decided not to talk to tony it's an you know he gives this great teddy roosevelt quote teddy roosevelt once gave a speech with a bullet lodged in his chest some things are a matter of duty which is his you know kind of veneer to bobby then he has a moment where he yet again <laughs> i just wrote junior in this fucking garbage disposal uh, <laughs> just to, you know they, they're reminding us that he's still Basically on house arrest and that, you know, he's still having issues with the house and the disposal and, you know, he's he's trapped here. Bobby Sr. shows up for dinner and he's coughing up blood. It's very hard to watch. And uh, this is something that occurs regularly when he's out of breath or has to come upstairs or something. And uh, Junior is outraged at that point. He can't mask his conversation with Tony anymore. He has, He's just like... You know, they, he can't have you clip someone in this condition. He drops, he gives them the name of a doctor, John Kennedy, head of oncology. And he's he's asking very pointed and specific cancer questions. Not an accident, as we find out later, that he's becoming more familiar with the playing field and the lingo of the, of the cancer world. And Bobby just basically expresses, Junior, I want to do it. I want to feel useful. And if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. What the fuck? I'm dead already, which makes Bobby upset and have to leave the room. Also, old Bacala, as we learn in this scene, tough guy. Yes. Really. Kind of almost like makes you wonder how Bacala is his son. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> old Bacala is like, this guy was a motherfucker back in the day. Like, oh, he yeah. really fucked some shit up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was probably... Uh, yeah. He was like prime soprano family member. Absolutely. Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a sh it's a shame he's in this condition. It's but... the opposite in many ways of the super sensitive and Livia-esque character he played in the Rocky movies. Yeah. This guy's more stoic, tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cut to Vesuvio. Artie wants to go into business with Tony. Satriali Foods. Businesses with the letter V remind people of vagina, which makes Charmaine very upset. 
But, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, it's a thrill. <laughs> the gist of the scene is, char- is that Artie is yet again wanting to get into business with Tony. Not the first time we've seen this. Not the first time Tony's offered. And Charmaine saves his ass. Again, very abrasive. The, there's going to be a difference this time, though, because Artie's in a different place than he has been in the past, where he's kind of taken a more henpecked position and lowered his head and listened to Charmaine. Perhaps this time he's not as willing to do so. Uh, and Charmaine, you know, tells him, be happy in thine own self, which was our, our pull quote uh, for this episode today. And then we're uh, outside in the main restaurant proper. We're having a, a, a dinner that I would love to be at with these oh with, with, with these guys. <laughs> Gigi, Tony, Paulie, Johnny Sack, and um, Ralphie's there. Johnny Sack asks about Bobby Sr. Junior apparently reached out. These looks, while all the dialogue's going on, we're getting cuts of these looks between Ralphie and Gigi. There's definitely a tension building there. And uh, Tony lays it out. He's very annoyed. This is what he was afraid of when Johnny Sack moved to Jersey. He's very annoyed by the fact that Johnny would even bring this up. And he's like, here, let me lay it out for everybody. Gigi gave the order. I okayed it. End of fucking subject. And, uh, and he's right. Uh, Johnny Sack is overstepping, as correct. far as we can tell. Yep. What are you doing? Don't comment on that. And Johnny plays it very diplomatically. I was, you know, just kind of like, this is, you know, I'm reaching out as a favor to Junior, and he's like, of course it's your call. Yeah, obvi- obviously it's your call. Yeah, obviously, Tony says. I caught something else in that scene. Mm-hmm. Why is Ralph Cifaretto at dinner? Well, uh, that's interesting. Well, I, don't... I would like to posit this. Yeah. He's enjoyable. Yeah. I think they actually like this guy. I know Gigi does not like this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, Okay, and I know everyone else is wary of him. But more than just that, oh, well, Ralph is going to be really important to the plot this year, so we have to make sure he's at lots of dinner scenes. I think I think they enjoy him. I, I think he's fun. It's not like Richie. I think it's just like... He's, he's the opposite of Richie, where it's right. like Richie's like, oh, bad vibes, you don't even want him at a night out. Yeah, so I feel like, hey, Johnny Sachs here, he wants to go out to dinner. Who am I going to get? Oh, you know, yeah, call Gigi. Oh, Ralph. Ralph, fucking blast. Get him at dinner. You know, yeah. he's an enjoyable guy. Yeah. And he's also he's also one of Gigi's top earners. He's he he's is, but Gigi hates him. Right. Yeah, right. So yeah. we know Gigi must not have invited him. Right. That's a right. Tony invite. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think about that, but I like that. Yeah. No. Ralph is. That's what I said. It's like you know. At least on the surface, Ralph seems like the kind of guy you'd want to have a, a night out. Which with. is why ultimately way more dangerous than Richie. Right. Yeah. We're gonna get into some more uh, very soon. Soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he plays the game much better than Richie April. Yeah. Um. To his, which is charming, but also will become very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, the next day, is buying a pipe for his bird feeder at Fountains of Wayne, a real place here in Wayne. Which I can't divorce from the name of the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder which came first. I'm going to have to look into that. I don't know. I don't even know what that reference is. I don't even know what Fountains of Wayne are. Hmm. Is that a thing? I don't know. There's well, I think well, no. I think Wayne. It's in Wayne, New Jersey. So I think. Oh, li- that's, you know, literally that. Yeah, I think that. Well, that the store. I don't know about the band. I don't know anything about Van. There's a Fountains of Wayne fan listening to this podcast right now being like, Jordan, you fucking idiot. You don't know about Fountains of Wayne? You know what that is? That was Jesus. He said that to people. He's like, here at my Fountains of Wayne. I don't know, fucking Luke or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if you're a Fountains of Wayne fan, please uh, send us some insight. I'm not going to Google that, but send us send us something if you're a, one of their fans. Uh, okay, so then he, he runs into Leon... This has to prompt a, gr- a sad groan from anybody watching the episode that this cop... And cop is... My dad was an officer. A little personal information. It's a good job. You, you get decent pay. It's You're not going to get rich doing it, but you're going to get good middle-class earnings. You're going to get good benefits. You know, so it's odd. Like, okay, why is he here? This this is shitty. What did Tony do? Uh, and, of course, Tony, right on top of the uh, insults, takes a moment. Oh, it's Shaft. Uh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he just takes the pipe again. Even at this job, he's very by the book. He swallows his pride. He doesn't say, fuck you. You know, he, he, he needs the work. He takes the pipe and, and, um, you know, is checking on to see if they have more stock. Tony, again, oh, you got your ticket book? Uh, doesn't that constitute indecent exposure? This, this, you know, statue with her breasts out. And uh, he explains, I no longer need my ticket book. He's been busted to the evidence room, which is notorious on all of these cop shows anyway. I don't, I haven't talked to an actual cop about this, but on all the cop shows, the evidence guarding the evidence room is like the last thing you want to do. It's boring. It's, it's slow. It's, you know. And clearly it must be an enormous pay cut. Yeah. And right. there's not a part-time hours or something. Yep, yeah. He's no longer eligible for overtime. 
And uh, so, as Tony says, you gotta bust it off the street. Yeah, exactly. to Tony, the street is where you make all your money. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, and to be a cop, I guess, is the center of the action. So. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been busted back with that. This kid who they cat again, great casting here. They cast this kid who can't be older than 18, 19 years old. Leon, take your break at two. Like that's his manager. That this guy in, at this point in his life has to humiliate. Yeah, it's humiliating. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just for a little Sopranos trivia, this guy who did this Leon Take Your Break at Two line, he has a YouTube page where he did a whole <laughs> rap song about his disappearance on The Sopranos. It's 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 very funny. Check it out. I I, I don't know. I, I'm forgetting the actor's name offhand, but he he's you know he, he has a YouTube page where he talks about his experience on The Sopranos in song. It's very funny. In fact, I think the song is called Leon Take Your Break at Two. <laughs> so he, but, uh, yeah. So Tony calls Zellman, feels bad. Karma's being very short with him in the brief scene before I'm going somewhere and when are you going to be back when I'm finished? You know, so Fortune off. Yeah, fortune off. Thank yeah. you. So they're still not doing well. She breaks off. Uh, you got him busted off the street. Tony feels weird about this. What's behind this guilt? Uh, he kind of asked for it, exactly, which is what Zellman's like, isn't this what you wanted? And so, you know, Tony kind of feels bad. This is part of where I was really getting on Tony's side in this episode. And I was just like, oh, there's the, there's the human heart of Tony Soprano. He realizes that the consequences are, are too much. Yeah. Right? That it went too far in the other direction. This guy was really only trying to do his job. Tony actually was in the wrong. And he feels bad about it. And to Paul's point from earlier, I think Tony actually sees something of himself in this guy, right? Yeah. There's This guy's living by his code. And I'm fucking him up. You know? And there's something wrong about that. Mm. Well said. Then we go. It's it's it's, it's hit time. Uh, Bobby pulls up. More fucking stairs. This poor guy has two two flights. Sit, yeah, two flights of stairs. What's great is we've already set the table. What's great about this design the, the, that they picked this house again, all deliberate, is we are already worried about him because he's in such bad condition. They've they've planted that seed. This could go horribly wrong. So he sees this big fucking stairwell, and then you see the inside of the house, and it's one of these split levels. <laughs> where you have to go up more stairs just to even get to the living room or downstairs into some kind of basement room. We all know houses like this. So it's like worst possible condition for him to perpetuate this hit on yeah. him. I have to go up yeah. to the big fucking Mustang stairs. Sally couldn't live in a ranch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but yeah, we get this guy uh, living with um, this other guy here who is fucking the lady whose house it is. Uh, great line. Yeah, great line. Uh, <laughs> I love that we don't have a word for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go the hallway around it. Yeah, exactly. Mustang, this guy's a piece of shit. I mean, Bobby kind of lies. You put that kid in a coma. I know, I'm so sorry. His apologies are bullshit. He's trying to save his own ass. Next time I'll yell four. Yeah, exactly. Four, yes. <laughs> Promise it'll never happen again, or at least next time I'll yell four. Yeah. And he laughs, and Bobby Sr. just no-sells it. Uh, <laughs> um, and look... Ultimately, getting into the details here, I think this is well shot. It's 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 well done. The the ultimate shot to the head is fucking brutal. There's pieces of brain hitting the ceiling, skull. Uh, they did a great job. It's bloody. And I wrote, it's messy, but he does it. He does the, the, he does the job, and it almost goes awry. This other guy, I'm forgetting his name, uh, comes in and almost catches him, and he blows Sally's ear off. They wrestle with the gun. Sal's reaching for his own gun. And uh, Bobby gets the shot off, shoots this other guy, you grease boy, yeah, and uh, shoots him right through the face. Uh, and that's a hell of a shot, too. Like, uh, kind of going back to what Jordan said, this guy was definitely a heavy hitter in yeah. prime. And this guy's a fucking hammer. He really is. Yeah. He yeah. was the fury of his day. Yep. Mm. And he's that's a great, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's the fury of his day. I love that. That's and, the irony is that he does the hit fairly well in spite of, like, hiccups. Maybe I, there maybe wasn't supposed to be anybody else there, but... He got rid of the witness. Then he, then he smokes a cigarette, I guess, <laughs> to celebrate. And then, as he's reaching for another one, he, when he's in the car, he drops the inhaler. Yeah. He passes out behind the wheel. Actually, interestingly, reflecting one of the things that Melfi said could be a danger for Tony mm. in his panic attacks from the first episode of the show and the beginning of this episode when Tony's speeding and he says, "Maybe we'll fucking die." Here, instead of the hit going wrong. This aftermath goes wrong, which for Junior <laughs> presents the same superstition problem <laughs> about the rule of three. Yeah. That this guy didn't die of cancer, but... Right. I actually think uh, Bacala Senior, or old Bacala's death, is actually kind of heroic. Mm -hmm. Right? 
I actually love it. Yeah. Uh, I was, um, again, I did not remember this episode well, so this was pretty much a first-time view for me. I was, like, curled up in a ball watching this hit scene. I was like, oh, no, old Bacala's gonna get killed by fucking Mustang Sally. Yeah, Please, yeah, yeah. God, no. Uh, and then the hit actually goes, like, super well. It's actually professional. He certainly did better than me. <laughs> and I had to do this fucking hit with somebody else walking in on it. You know? And he is someone who is dying of lung cancer which has uh, ostensibly been, been caused by him smoking cigarettes for his whole life, right? Since uh, since he was in short pants, to quote Junior, right? Yes, great line. So he sees Sally's cigarettes there, or, or it might have been the roommate's cigarettes, and he grabs the pack and he lights up, and we're thinking, oh my God, why are you doing that? You already have such trouble breathing. And in my mind, I'm like, because this guy knows he's dying. Yeah. He could die that moment. Maybe he already feels the death throes coming, hmm. right? He gets into his car and... This is a bit of a drive. It's not the same cigarette. He's still got the pack with him. Maybe he's going to smoke this whole pack. Maybe this was the, the big goodbye. Yeah. Right? I get to do one more hit. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling super useful again. I'm feeling like the good old days. I'm playing Sister Golden Hair by America <laughs> on the radio, which is a song about your good old days being behind you, and I miss this beautiful golden-haired girl that I used to have. It's about yeah. the used to be. Yeah. It's about all that used to be, right? He suddenly can't breathe. He sees enough because you're smoking a fucking cigarette, dude, right? Unfortunately, drops the inhaler on the floor. He's reaching for it. He goes to take a breath, and he can't. And we all know that noise when you just, you're locked off. Yep. Air's not going in. Passes out. He crashes and dies. And I thought afterwards, I was like, if he could have picked a death, he might have picked that one. That's mm. pretty fucking good. Yeah. And also, nobody got the best of him, and neither did the cancer. Yeah. Okay, he dies mm. incidentally after a heroic hit, smoking cigarettes and listening to America. Mm. Pretty fucking good, man. Yeah. Yep. Not bad for this life. No, as far as this life goes, it's actually well said. I like yeah, that. I think, you know, even though there's a grim quality to it, and as Jordan said, it's a death, it's a big goodbye, it's a going out. In some way, Bobby Sr. might be the only character in this episode who's happy in their own self. Yeah. As ah, Charmaine suggests. Right. There's a darkness to the... It's an ending. But everyone else is like... Tony is... Tony is oscillating between... Should I be mean to this black cop or not? Mm. Like, that's your tough guy gangster <laughs> moment. Artie Bucco has a fucking earring in. And Junior... Junior gets cancer and calls Bobby Junior a selfish fuck. Yeah. What? Like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah. You know. I love that. That's great. So yeah, Bobby's devastated. Junior again with the cancer jargon, the metastasis, using words like this. Um, so you know, clearly something's going on there. He loses it, shocks Bobby out of his tears. Uh, Junior, uh, of course, we find out later on this is probably about loss of control. The fact that, you know, he doesn't know exactly what killed Bobby Sr. And he's going through something. And um, then we get to Artie and Charmaine fighting. The whole restaurant staring. Cracks me up. They're basically, Artie disintegrates the marriage. I'm going into business with Tony. That's a red line for Charmaine. She draws it. He crosses it. Says, yeah, he dismisses it. Good. It's about fucking time. And she yells at him and leaves while the whole restaurant is, is staring at him. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a scene. Quite a scene that's played out here. So, anything else to say about the disintegration of the Bucco marriage? You know, I, I, I hesitate to use the words long time coming. Mm. I don't think he's been unhappy. I think he thinks he's unhappy. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I really see a lot of value in Charmaine. And like I mentioned before, I've seen a lot of guys just, they go out, they go out chasing the glitter, yeah. you know, and it doesn't mean anything, mm. you know. It's just it's it's classic midlife crisis shit. When we see him in the earring in the following scene with him, that's like it's a portion and earring. Those are like the big signs of the midlife crisis. It's a portion earring. You try to date a girl, it's too young for you. Yeah. I mean that's it's how many men in their forties fall into that trap. You know. Absolutely. Next scene, we find out what's going on with Junior. They meet at the uh, doctor's office, and uh, Tony puts it out there. If this is about old man Bacala, I don't want to fucking hear it. And Junior just lets it out. I have cancer in the big casino. We find out it's stomach cancer. He's due for surgery in two weeks. Tony is very shocked by this information. Gives him a hug. Makes Tony promise not to tell anybody. Uh, that old thing where, especially in this lifestyle, uh, people can't detect weakness. And if you, people hear that you're sick with cancer, they treat you differently. This is a, a thing that people who have cancer actually wrestle with. I've heard yep. this. 
before. And um, then we get this rule of three thing, this idea that Junior was waiting for, you know, Jackie with the cancer, then Febby, and he was, uh, in a way, hoping that the cancer would take Bobby Sr. because that would fill out the, tr- the trio. Uh, this is a very this is very old school superstitious shit. It is um, Italians, as we yes. said before on the show. Italians are superstitious folk. They have a lot of superstitions that they uh, believe in in some way. Not uncommon, you know, and not unlike like let's say our blackbird from a, a previous episode yep. uh, when Chris was made and, and thinks the blackbird is a sign of ill omen. Uh, yeah, Junior has some investment in this rule of three. This idea that. Listen, in a relatively short period of time, just a couple of de- uh, a couple of years, uh, Jackie uh, April died of cancer. Febby has died of cancer, and if Bacala Senior dies of cancer, that will satisfy the gods of three. The rule of three will be completed, and that Junior will somehow skip it, right? Mm-hmm. That he'll be he'll be free of it. But there's nothing to substantiate that, right? It is just something, some little talisman to grasp onto. <laughs> and yeah, don't tell anyone. The very next scene. Tony tells Janice. Immediately, yeah. And they, yeah. they're having... Who's they, just the right person to tell. Exactly, right? yeah. The and person who actually coins the phrase, uh, uh, another toothpick. Well, right? technically it was Well, she's Livia. quoting Livia. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, of course... And it, they, they talk <laughs> Which, about, of course, that's her phrase. Yes. They talk about this idea that, like... Uh, this idea of Livia's cynicism being rooted in a sense of, like, not letting gods or God or the cosmos kind of get one over on you. Like, if you have this negative cynical attitude you're always ready for it and at the second you turn that off that's when that's when that's when they're going to get you it's more of this old superstition and a little bit of a window into how janice and tony perceive livia's negativity it's an interesting dialogue happening there and they're they're clearly several glass they're also several glasses in i mean janice is drunk tony's a little more subdued here it was yeah. actually nice to see them in a scene that wasn't antagonistic. Yeah, the them for a just actual brother and sister. This yeah. is like, you know, they, they, they're not always at each other's throats. So it was nice to see. Then, of course, Janice sobers Tony right up with, I've really been coming down to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the allusion to the Trinity. Yep, the Holy Trinity. You think that's a coincidence, huh? <laughs> uh, Jesus. Yeah, more, and this, this is... This is what's funny about this, and I think this is why Tony ends up getting up to leave because they were having a genuine moment, and then this is more Janice bullshit, just the, her her fad of the day, and um, she asks about Sal Bompensero, and uh, Tony says witness protection. I, I think he has to know, especially given that Richie's official story is witness protection. Oh, she knows. Yeah, that, she that's it. that's code for yeah. both of them. They yeah. know what that means. Yeah. She asks if you want to she do you want to pray with me and she he just gets up and leaves. <laughs> and uh yeah, then we get this cool scene in the house. Um cool. <laughs> we get this scene in the house, an entertaining scene nonetheless, where Meadow is singing going down again this feudal doomed wire in the basement. <laughs> I thought it was insensitive that Meadow was singing "Leave Me Breathless" after the last <laughs> <laughs> senior died, but very anyway. fun. <laughs> that is fun. So they go. Then, then we find out that the wire's been moved upstairs. <laughs> the fans are freaking out because Meadow's taking the lamp while the family is arguing about uh, racial statistics. Uh, Tony, Tony, smile when Carmela mentions that there's a black guy on campus stealing bikes. <laughs> It's just so. It's a very awful. grinchy smile. Yeah, it really is. yeah, exactly. He just like smiles and goes and gets his coffee. You can see Meadow steaming. She knows what he's thinking. They're not saying it. And then Tony, of course, has to. He has to take the bait here. Um, oh, he can't resist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a black guy. I, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> he says in very bullshit fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they they have the argument. Meadow calls him out for being racist, and Tony's like, "You stay with your own people." And, uh, he says to her, this is what I've been saying all along. Yeah. You stay with your own people. When has that been a theme that he <laughs> impressed upon his children? He's making this shit up as he goes along. Yeah, yeah. This is what he's supposed to do. You know, sometimes I feel like he doesn't even believe it. You know? Mm. I think it's all bullshit to him, too. I just think mm. he just, he has it when he has it, and he does it when he does it. It's whenever he wants, you know? It's very mercurial. It's sort of like, and I'm not looking to get into necessarily a political discussion here. I'm not, I'm not throwing in for any team here, but I just think it's an apropos comparison. Whether you lean this way or not, it's sort of to me the way that a lot of Republicans cater to the evangelical people. 
I think a lot of the politicians aren't that religious. Oh, sure. But they know that that's a big part of the Sure, you, you turn it on when you know it suits you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah. So, so I think, like, that. it's very much that same thing with Tony here. It's right. like, this is the position he's supposed to take. It's the position his dad would have taken. It's, you know, him trying to live up to that idealized version of the Italian dad gangster thing. And he's just kind of playing it out here. And he's being, he is being racist. Uh, Meadow, you know, calls him out on that, and and they have this fight. It doesn't go anywhere. Tony says, "Now you have some. You can wrap me out about in therapy." And the feds are devastated because their wire is lost. Why uh, are they talking about this in the basement? Yeah, <laughs> very funny. Great yep. line. They're so dumb. Yep. Then this. Oh God, this very uncomfortable, cringy scene. You just want to oh, yeah. pull Artie out of the restaurant and just slap him like Tony did. He's got the earring. He's taking Adriana out for a retirement dinner. Uh, the hands, it's all very uncomfortable. Those shots of the hands, her pulling her hands away, him touching, asking, are you sure you're ready for this? Like, you know, she's wanted nothing more than to be married. And <laughs> Artie is just like, like L- Lily and I were just watching this together, just cringing for Artie. It's, yep. it's hard to watch. It's a cringe-a-thon. Her. Yep. You know, Tony tried to warn him. He's clearly not had much <laughs> self-reflection. Uh, yeah, it's real stupid. But, uh... It's shot and, and and the story in the scene is told in a way that leaves you like, ooh, Artie is uh, not heading anywhere good with any of this. So, uh, but uh, you know, she pulls away, goes to the bathroom. We cut Artie's, uh, you know, these beautiful plates of food. By the way, I wanted to know what this restaurant is. But uh, yeah, then uh, we get this uh, meeting with Johnny Sack, Tony, and Z- Zelman. They're talking about the Riverfront Esplanade project. It's going to be a big boon for them. You know, the unions are going to get payoffs. Uh, the New York guys are going to get a lot of the construction. Tony's going to do plumbing and electric. They're going to make a killing off of this. They're all talking about it. I like when they're talking about the little uh, model of Newark. And Johnny asks if they have little hookers giving little blowjobs. <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When Johnny steps away to the restroom, Zellman uh, and Tony discuss Leon, this guy Leon. And uh, some, I guess, black officer squad or part of the union are sticking up for him and looking into his case. And Zellman asked Tony if he wants it squashed. And, of course, coming fresh off the argument we just had uh, in, in with Meadow, Tony says, you know what, fuck it. Get what, get, he got what he deserved and puts it behind him, supposedly. But right. as Jordan just mentioned a few minutes ago, he, like... If it suits him in the moment, that seems to be the attitude he's taking. Then he's pretty petty. He's angry. The anger could be misdirected. But if if he were at peace with that decision, then the episode would not end with him going to Fountains of Wayne, right, right, and offering the guy money. Yep. Even if it's a meager gesture, even if it's wrong-headed in the approach, he's trying to do something here. Why and what is what what is eating him about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it will whatever it is, it will continue to because the guy turns him down. Yep. We're wrapping up here. Uh, Agent Harris breaks the news to Cubitoso that the Soprano wiretap is... Neutralized. (laughs) (laughs) Not good news for them. They really... These stupid fucking people. Now they have to listen to Caitlin complain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Meadow's roommate. Choke on it, you fuckers. So funny. Yeah, they. but as of this point, the FBI, as far as we know, really has nothing going on except Ray Curdo, who's... Not, it was kind of on the periphery. <laughs> right. right. You know, uh, so the feds are, are struggling at this point. We'll see where that all goes. Poor Bobby Jr. breaks the news to Bobby in the next scene. Bobby's uh, ready to go to his dad's funeral, and Jr.'s not up to it. He's watching TV. He looks all cozy there, uh, but he's not feeling well. He tells the news to Bobby that he has cancer. Bobby's rocked by this, and, you know, just kind of like, what the fuck is happening here? Uh, he's, he's, um, but. Junior breaks the news. He breaks his own code of silence on the cancer to tell Bobby because he has to save face about not going to the funeral. But, you know, it's sad. It's sad that Junior's facing this down. Clearly, because this is the end of the episode, there's going to be more to come on this. And then we get this last scene again at Fountains of Wayne. Tony goes back to, you know, get what he needs and offers Officer Leon some money, which he refuses still to the end by the book. And Tony... uh, Tony's kind of left there verklempt amidst all these fountains as the screen goes dark. What do we think of the last few moments of this episode? And then any final thoughts on the episode proper? Uh, I'll lead with that Charles Dutton, who plays uh, Officer Leon Wilmore. Uh, 
I have never forgotten is the second lead of Alien 3, <laughs> one of the worst movies ever made and like the worst movie in the Alien franchise. So I'm, I'm happy to have a new memory <laughs> of this actor to erase that. Uh, I'll say this. I, again, I was, I was really with Tony this episode, like more emotionally with him than maybe I've been in a bit. And um, I was really pleased that he went back to Fountains of Wayne to try to find some kind of moral redemption there. Mm. And that he doesn't get it is important to me. I, I like that this other man doesn't bend and, and that, you know, you like to think Tony might learn a lesson from this. But I, I guess if, if our past is any indication of future success, probably he won't. <laughs> mm. Good point. Yeah, I think it's important that the guy turns him down just as it was very important that instead of, like, say, having some vindictive quality, that he just didn't give a shit about Tony's connections, as you, as you guys said, by the book. And uh, I also, yeah, I like this last scene a lot. I really like the way it's shot with Tony um, sort of disappearing amidst the statues. The statues are, you know, heroic. They're staunch. I think maybe kind of the way that Ralphie wants to view himself and the other gangsters like as gladiators as heroic but they're oscillating they're sensitive and tony disappears among them Mm. um so it's still as jordan said i think it's him wrestling with these questions but what will he come what will he gain out of it is an open question well said guys another toothpick is in the books Season 3 is rocking and rolling. We're already almost at the halfway point. It doesn't feel like it. So much has happened, but it also feels like it all happened very quickly. We're coming back next with University, one of, in my opinion, one of my favorite scripts, even though it's a really rough episode. We're going to talk all about it. We're going to have Lily back with us next episode, and I can't wait to get a, get into it all. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. We'll see you next time on The Sopranos Podcast. Podcast.